So if you just start to shift that focus on understanding people and their behaviors and building that brand loyalty over time, that will come back and lead to much more success over time than if you're just out for a quick win. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. My name is Yuval. I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub, which is an online education platform for UX writers, content designers, and such. We have a weekly newsletter, we have a blog, we have a free UX writing course. Go to our website, check it out. And today we have a special guest. He's a design leader, vice president of design at Rocket Mortgage, and also the host of Surfacing Podcast. I'm very excited to have him here today and his opinion about design. Hello, Andy Vital, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you for coming. It's a pleasure. So Andy, tell me a little bit about your background and how did you get into design? Yeah, that's a great question and it can go very long. So I've been in design. This is my 21st or 22nd year in design. Many years ago, I went to school for TV and radio and ended up dropping out of school and going to professional wrestling school. And uh, early on yeah, <laughs> and, and early on in my career, I realized like I'm not going to make a living doing this. So I ended up like, all right, I got to go back to school. It's like 1998. Like, what what are the things that are that are hot that I like? So I knew it was computers. The choices back then were like computer networking or like computer or digital design. So I was like, man, you know what? Like, let me give that design thing a try. It sounds like something that I'm super pumped about. I'm not great at, at uh, drawing at all, which we have learned many years later that that's not a prerequisite for becoming a good designer. People still think it is, but it's not, right? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's all about how you can communicate your ideas, whatever medium that is. For me right now, it's a whiteboard or a PowerPoint document. But, you know, right. for people on my team, it, it spans many different mediums. Started out in early days of digital, got to work in a couple of interesting places, went into education, started my own agency at one point, got to launch some products for BlackBerry, got to work with a lot of startups and incubators in the early days of mobile, moved nice. on to Office Depot and got to do a lot of really cool stuff with mobile. And then as my career evolved, I went to solving more complex problems for humans in the healthcare space than the finance space. And now we're, we're building a team at Rocket Mortgage out to become to continue us on our journey of becoming the best lender and transforming the lending industry. So it's it's been a fun journey and, and loved every minute of it. Amazing. What a journey. It's like an historical journey too, you know, Office Depot, Blueberry, Blackberry, all of those. It's like amazing that you had the chance to touch all of those companies and products. This is amazing. It's awesome. And then especially like when I got to 3M and focused on healthcare, then SunTrust, which became Truist, focused on finance, like having that opportunity to affect people's lives at very serious and important decision points in their life is just something that's that's so it's it's an opportunity that I'm so grateful for and it's so fulfilling. So in 1998 you kind of envisioned that you know computers is something that you know you should focus on. What do you think is the next step for people right now? Like people that's looking for their direction, 
they went to college, tried different bachelor degrees, different topics to learn. Maybe they're also doing wrestling and maybe they're doing also, I don't know, psychology, whatever. But now they want to know like what's next for humanity when it comes to like technology and stuff. So what's your bet? Yeah, you know, I think you hit it pretty accurately when you said what's next or best for humanity. I think that we've seen this industry evolve to where we were creating artifacts to creating screens to looking at ecosystems and now we're really especially the designers that are coming up now are so focused on leveraging design as a force for good and i think that as long as you're rooted in in true problem solving the mediums will always change i mean now we're looking at conversation and voice and ar and vr and there's always going to be an emerging technology i think we're at this point now where we can learn from the mistakes that people made in the early days when this was play and we can really focus on how we can make sure that these products are ethical that they're safe that they cause no physical, emotional, environmental, or economical harm to people who use the products that we create every day. And what can we do to make society better and leverage design in doing this? So you'll hear about like computational design and algorithms and AI and natural language processing. And at the heart of all of those, while they're a technology, is a human decision and an impact to humans. And if we can go in and focus on how we as individuals, as people listening to this podcast, as writers, as content strategists, as designers, what can we do to actually make things better for people? And as long as your heart is in that place, you will evolve as different technologies emerge and we will learn. And we've done this as we figure it out. You will continue to just dive in and, and figure it out as we go and as these things evolve. But as long as the intent is there and the, the output of, of doing it is responsible, then what's next for everyone will be just, just a new space, a new thing to conquer, a new way to make things better for people. Well, I couldn't agree more with you, but that's quite of a challenge. You know, there are a lot of companies out there that, or like people out there that, you know, it's all about uh, in many companies and I get it. Like it's a conversion game. You just want to increase the amount of money coming into your organization and then your design might really be bad for people, you know? So how do you think we should, you know, educate and teach and talk about like ethical stuff in these days? Yeah, so it's it's interesting because I'm seeing less and less. Well, I, I can't really say that, but but I fortunately I've seen a lot less and less focus on conversion and more focus on the humans, and then conversion comes with that. You know, at, at Rocket Mortgage, we have this ism about numbers and money don't lead; they follow. And as long as you do the right thing, as long as you're solving the right problem, as long as you're making an impact, the numbers, the money that comes along with it. If you set out just on focusing on money, that's a short-sighted goal. That's a near-term thinking. That is something that that strategy will work, but it won't be sustainable. When we think about looking at our experience overall, it's about that long-term relationship with people. It's about the brand. It's about the long tail. It's about lifelong loyalty and partnership. So, you know, if, if you go in now with some unethical practices, with some, you know, harmful patterns, you may get sales up for a little while, but the, the brand damage that you do over time is irreparable. Like once people have that really bad taste in their mouth, once you lose that trust, once they realize you were just out to convert them quickly, they're not going to come back and they're not going to be around long. 
And if you look online at people who complain about things, they're like, if they have a bad experience, they're going to amplify that. And they're going to tell everyone who will listen. And it's going to be really hard to dig your way out of that hole. So if you just start to shift that focus on understanding people and their behaviors and building that brand loyalty over time, that will come back and lead to much more success over time than if you're just out for a quick win. Of course, we need momentum and we need quick wins to evolve what we do. But at the end of the day, don't create those quick wins at the expense of the people who you will rely on for years to run and grow your business. All right, that's that's awesome. And to be honest, I definitely see how can you apply the things that you just said in a mortgage kind of platform. I had the opportunity to work for a client here in Israel on a local kind of version of something that is similar to Rocket Mortgage only in Israel. And the benefit that it gives to the people that are using it is amazing because it gives them a lot of leverage in front of the banks and they have a lot more information before they take their mortgage. And it really helps humanity, a product like that. So I couldn't agree more that we could just decide to work on products that help people instead of products that harming people. Right. Exactly. I, I mean, it, it's interesting. So, you you know, the, the way that we can apply that today or we the way that we do apply that today at, at Rocket Mortgage is, you know, people come to our site for, for a couple of reasons, right? They may want to purchase a home. Maybe it's their first home. Maybe it's not. They might want to refinance their current mortgage. Or, or maybe they came across, they're just casually looking on a website of like, what are some of the low interest rates that are out there today? And they stumble upon our site. They may not be ready to buy a home or, or refinance their mortgage, but they want information. And if we take those people that come to our site for the first time and, and we don't help them understand where they're at, what the steps are that they need to do, educate them on the process, they're not going to come back. Maybe they're not ready for their mortgage yet. Maybe they need six more months, 12 more months to, to actually qualify and afford you know, the payment that they're looking for. But if we help them through that process, help them understand those things, help them become confident in their decisions, we, we call it in our ad campaigns, our Super Bowl ad, we talk about certainty, being certain in the decisions that you make. If we can provide them that certainty and that understanding when it's time, when they're ready, they'll come back to us because they realize that we helped them in the beginning to understand their situation. And why else? Why would they go anywhere else at that point? I agree. This is like uh, content marketing also, you know, like you provide a lot of content even to people that don't need your service right away, but it really helps your brand to show. Right. And then they just, when they actually need it, you're the first one that pops to their head, just like, you know, having billboards and, right. you know, showing people that the product exists. And then when they think about it, they just go and try themselves. So content is a really great driver for marketing and for brand awareness and so on. And and by the way, I know I know that products like Crockett Mortgage have a lot of content and design challenges. So how do you tackle those? How do you tackle the content and design challenges of Rocket Mortgage? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've been here for nine months and in nine months, our, our team has grown. We've more than doubled in size. 
we've become more of a strategic partner and our design organization has UX writers, content strategists, UX designers, UI designers, conversational designers. We, we've service designers. Like we, we literally have all of the disciplines and, and what we've been doing is really finding how to provide that strategic input and taking a look at, at our holistic view, our entire product ecosystem and understanding like, why are people here? What are they looking for? What do we have from a content and design perspective that supports that journey? And what do we have that, that kind of is in a way, is a barrier, is a point of friction or unnecessary friction? And as we understand our clients and potential clients more and more each day, we're, we're able to, to modify the way we communicate, our voice and tone, the content that we have. We understand what works and what doesn't work, and we measure and we test and we analyze and we really you know, have, have done a good job of, of evolving both the way we communicate with words and with images, and then the overall like flow that we have through our process. And, you know, like anything else as, as design professionals, we know that it's never done. It can always be improved. And as we start to dig in more and more, we look at ways that we can make things better, whether it's, you know, removing a step in a process, providing more visibility into into what's happening, just ways that we can make people feel, like I said before, more certain in the decisions that they're making and not feel like I hit apply. I, I submitted this application and now I don't know what happens. It's a black hole, right? That's the worst thing that can happen. How do we let people know what's going on through the whole process and stay in touch? And it's not just what we do in our digital side. It's the the people that work on our banking side and our support side that are really spending time with these clients and helping understand how they can have information that clients want to hear or need to know at their fingertips. So we're looking at both client side, the internal team member side, and then how data flows on the back end. Like we're really looking at this holistic view of everything that's happening with the intent of, of improving it. And, you know, the challenges that we have for sure are like, We've got one potential, you know, homepage, right? And yet people are coming for both edu- or for education, they're coming to purchase, they're coming for refi. Like there are many different reasons why they're coming. How do we tailor the content and the experience to those individuals' needs in that moment so they're not distracted by anything else and keep them focused so that they are are coming and achieving their desired results? And, and again, there's no like, how do we solve that? It's iterative, right? So it's it's taking steps and seeing what works and understanding people more and then finding out how to even do better. And that that's the biggest challenge is like, how do you continue and continue to push and be better and be better every day? And uh, do you feel like there is also room for innovation and like creating new and creative stuff? Because I know that in many companies, it can be quite of a challenge to kind of innovate and do that kind of stuff. So do you feel like you have you know, the freedom to innovate as well as a designer and a leader of a design team? Yeah, we, so we do. I think that the innovation is a, is a funny word. If you look at innovation and, and even, you know, strategy, it means a lot of different things to different people. So, you know, there, there are many different types of innovation for us. There's definitely sustaining and disruptive innovation. And I think that, you know, there, there are incremental things that we can do 
to continue to move the needle. We've created the space to do that. We have, we've got a whole part of the team. It's a small part of the team, but it's a team focused on what's next, what could potentially be new. And in that place, and it's, it's, we, so we call it rocket labs. And when an idea comes into the lab, a few things could happen to it. So, so one, the goal is to learn, learn something, right? Like, Every idea has the potential to learn things that could either become something new, whether it's a new product or a new addition to our products. So in those cases, something could uh, end up on a roadmap or get a whole new line of business started. Other times, maybe the market wasn't ready for the idea or the idea wasn't that great. So that idea then goes away, right? We, We decide not to move forward with that. But those learnings can probably be applied to some of our current products and added to the roadmap. So having that space for that learning is is so important. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna hit a home run every at bat, but if you can walk away learning something so that you can apply that somewhere else in the business, that may not be innovation in that definition, but the overall group that is focused on on improving outcomes, they will come up with things that are innovative and we will bring them to market when we do, as we do. Sounds amazing. Like the idea of Rocket Labs is so cool. And I know that many great companies have like dedicated teams that care about like what's coming up next in the future. And that's a really fantastic idea. I'll follow up the question with not innovation, but for example, you know, a lot of times you work with product teams and so on, and you want to bring like creative solutions and then you just can't because of technical limitations or because it's too late in the process or because the developers saying that these features can be developed right now. So do you feel like there is some kind of things like that when you try to bring new ideas or like how do you tackle that problem when it comes, you know? Yeah, you know, so those happen everywhere, right? There there are trade-off yes. decisions that happen, whether it's technical capability or feasibility, whether it's business viability, whether it's, you know, whatever reason it is, there are times that we can't always deliver the things that we want exactly when we want them. And how but, we want them. And how we want them. So I, I would say that, again, I tie back to our culture and our isms. And we have one that's called Obsessed with Finding a Better Way. And we really are like focused and and we have what you probably know as a triad of product design and engineering at the heart of every decision on the product level. And we openly debate those trade-offs and what it takes and, and why or why not we can do things at the moment, but it's never a like, no, it's a maybe not right now. It's 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 interesting to see because those trade-offs are are very common everywhere and a lot of times in organizations there's a pecking order right so there's a maybe the design team sits in technology or the product team sits in technology or or maybe they're all in the same organization or maybe they're all separate organizations as long as you know you have a strong triad that really have equal weight at the heart of every decision then you have less and less of these trade-offs and more and more figuring out how to how to move these things forward. Now again, there's the the nature of of product, the way we create products where of course we've got this team that's focused on delivering, meeting those those deadlines, the timelines, the sprints. 
And sometimes there's the opportunity for more of what they call dual track agile, where you've got a team focusing on the two weeks, and then you've got another team that's focusing on the one, two, three months ahead. So we could start to figure out what that looks like and, and mitigate that risk by, by validating those decisions. That's another place where we kind of focus on who's working in the now and who do we have with a little breathing room to look at the bigger picture. Of course, the now is is really important. It's the immediate results. And there's another ism that we have, another phrase called take the roast out of the oven, right? It's like, don't sit and wait for things to bake perfectly because we know nothing's ever perfect. As long as it's ready to go, like let's get it out there and learn from it and improve upon it later. Like we will say it all the time. Like, if, if technology is debating, you know, this might take two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or products like, well, I'm not really sure. Or design's like, well, we, we, we have a couple of different versions of this. We really want to test this. Like, take the roast out. Let's pick one. Let's move forward with it. Let's continue to, to look at the other versions and learn as we go. I love this at the end. It's quite like the complete opposite of what they teach you in design school, right? Right. Yeah. Design school is like, here's the big reveal when it's all done. It's like, yeah. Exactly. And uh, there's many people that I meet that like, you know, going outside of design school, want to get into the field of design, UX, writing even. And they have this, you know, they have this kind of thinking that everything must be perfect. And, you know, they don't want to put it in their portfolio until it's ready. And I'd say to them, you know, just what you say right now, take the roast out and put it in your portfolio, share it with the world. And you know, you might land a job. It's like, uh, don't wait for it to be perfect. This is a fantastic tip for every designer in every level. Yeah, you know, it's funny too, because I see so many portfolios. Like you said, they try to be too perfect. And I want to see... I want to see the raw, gritty, like, show me the ugly work. Show me the sketches on, like, a notebook that has four other sets of notes on it that, like, only you understand. Show me how that turned into what you're showing me. Don't just show me the end result because anyone can make something look amazing. Like, I want to know the journey of how it got there. I want to see, like, I want to see every time you made a mistake and what you learned along the way. Exactly. Yeah. So post your raw stuff over there. It doesn't have to be perfect, people. And yeah, that's about it. And just put it work that you're proud of the most. That that would be the best. Um, all right, Andy. So uh, you're the host of the Surfacing Podcast. What, what is your goal with the, the podcast? I know that you talk a lot about, you know, with many people, not only design leaders, but like technologists, business leaders, uh, and so on. So what's your goal with that? The surfacing podcast really like I, I so Lisa Welchman and I host uh, a podcast where we're trying to surface important decisions about digital technology, design, business, governance, ethics. Ultimately, we met at a conference a few years ago and and thought about writing a book about how you can design for safety, and we. Over time, over working together, we're like, these conversations that we're having are much more important than just like putting a book out and setting it and forgetting it. These are like really interesting conversations about where things have gone wrong over time. How do we prevent them with people who create in the digital space, whether they create policies or courses or, or products. So, you know, we, we just find people that are doing 
what we would consider interesting things and, and want to hear more about their process and what they do and how it helps enable a, a more safe digital space. Not a, it's not even always digital. So we've, we've had a lot of interesting conversations. We Episode 15 comes out this week, which by the time this airs, maybe not. But it's it's been a really fun little like thing that we do and, and, and a labor of love. And it's nice to With just see it. Jorge like, you know, Arango, right? Yep. Jorge Arango is, is this, this latest one that will come out. Also, a really cool idea. And uh, in your first episode, you talked with uh, Whitney Queensberry about the election ballot design. And to be honest, I started uh, one of my talks a few years ago with, you know, there was this ballot design a few years ago that kind of affected the, the results in, in one state in America. I'm not sure exactly even on what... Um, on what year was it because it was so long time ago but it was a really cool story about like how the design of the balut could impact like the whole country right i know so i remember that because i lived in florida at the time and florida was the state and it was these right. hanging chads i had never heard of these things before so <laughs> this was like you know in the u.s i don't know anywhere else we had these these forms they're called scantron forms and you'd like circle this thing with a pencil and a machine would read it and grade your paper so it was about that size it was tiny and what you had to do to vote was actually like poke these little holes out so the machine could read it but because of the way it was designed the holes wouldn't poke completely through so they would like hang off the back so the machine wouldn't pick it up as like, as it runs through, it would like pull it forward. So it wouldn't register if it was voted because it didn't have the, the, the it didn't find an empty slot. And that election got recounted and recounted for weeks because of like, I don't know, so many hanging chads and, and the whole country was <laughs> on hold waiting for like, what's going on here? And it's just interesting, uh, especially having lived in that state. George Bush, well, a long time ago. <laughs> yep, exactly. So that uh, that's definitely a crazy story about like how the design of a ballot can impact the country. And I didn't hear about the hanging chats. That's a cool, <laughs> cool, uh, cool twist to the story. I said you also brought Mike Montero uh, over and like so many interesting guests. So I recommend everyone that's listening to us right now go check the Surfacing podcast. They're also a pretty sweet website as well. Check it out. I will add the link to the show notes as well. Awesome! I appreciate that. Sure. All right, so we have the last question for this episode. And usually it, the question is uh, when I'm asking the guests, and uh, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'm asking, how do you think we should name this episode? Because, you know, I'm speaking with such talented people around the world, and usually we kind of brainstorm and name the episode together. Do you have maybe an idea? I, I love that question. If, if I, so we, we talked about a lot of things I think what we really talked about the most is is enabling experiences or or creating experiences that improve oh we talked a lot about improving improving things for humans and, and making things better for people and you know naming episodes is always is always a difficult yeah, it's thing a tough one. it's a tough but one. yeah where where's your head at so far I'd say maybe uh, design for humans not for users maybe something like that Yeah, I love I love design for humans, design for humanity. You know, we, we, we definitely talked about improving lives. We talked about certainty. 
but certainty in uncertain times. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like designing for even if it's like designing for human outcomes. It's just it's it's just the thing I would love to communicate is how important it is to do what we do at this time and how much of an impact we have the opportunity to have. And we've got to make sure that that we're doing the right thing. You got it. That's how we're going to name it. We're going to to do something in that notion for sure. Awesome. Andy, Andy Vital, thank you so much uh, for being my guest today. It was a lot of pleasure awesome. uh, chatting with you in person. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. For sure. And uh, thank you, the listeners, for joining us for another episode of Writers in Tech. Definitely check the Surfacing podcast. A lot of great uh, design discussions over there. This episode brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. Uh, check out our website, uxwritinghub.com. Take our free course. A lot, a lot, a lot of free resources for everyone that is curious about content design and UX writing. My name is Yuval. I'm the host of this show and the founder of the UX Writing Hub. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any question at yuval at uxwritinghub.com. And I'll see you next time. And until that, bye.